0: You're listening to the Metro LA podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. So again, good morning. Welcome back to the John study series. We're uh, going to be in chapter 13. If you're following along, we already actually hit the first part of 13. We got through uh reading of uh, what happened up to Jesus washing the disciples' feet and um And, uh, uh, what a you know, what an incredible time that was. We're, we're, we're really in the heart of the gospel now. Um, as I've pointed out many times now that, you know, we all the way up to chapter 12, um, and we still have all the, you know, there's 21 chapters, so we still have a long ways to go. And yet we're already at the last week of Jesus' life and which tells you a lot about John and the focus of John and what he was trying to make sure we understood, about Jesus and what we need to know about Jesus. I mean, there's so many things when you're reading the Bible that you're looking for uh, repetition, wiser repetition. We always repeat things when when we really want somebody to understand something, right? Uh, there's the old saying: people retain 10% of what you say, so if you really want them to retain it, say it 10 times, right? Um, there's there's many things like that in the Bible, uh, as we'll see. So we're gonna we're gonna pick up right here at the end of the section we already studied, uh, in verse 17 of chapter 13, he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So, um, you know, he's just washed their feet. He's just set just an absolutely powerful example of, of leadership, servant leadership. You know, I, I, uh, was getting my master's or my doctorate in leadership at Abilene university and, um, you know, of course I had to read a lot of books on leadership, the theory of leadership. And one of the, 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 inspiring things is how one of the hottest crazes or the hottest style of leadership out there in, and I'm not talking the religious world, I'm talking just the, the secular world in general has been servant leadership. You know, the theory of servant leadership, the power of servant, servant leadership, And, uh, and, and that has made an impact, a splash on the secular world. You know, that, that the top level leaders in the world are also servants, you know, and if you ever read good to great, uh, that, you know, he talks about the level five leader and that's one of the qualities of a level five leader is the humility to serve others. Um, and you know, the, the, here 2000 years ago, Jesus lays a powerful example of that. And he closes that section out saying, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And, you know, that's, that's in so many ways, that is, um, the, 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 the heart of Jesus' teachings. Um, and especially for this life, you know, we, we focus a lot on getting people to heaven, right? Or at least on getting people baptized. That's generally, uh, where we focus is trying to get people baptized, trying to get people saved in Jesus. Um And where I think where we're growing a lot is, you know, the, the, the second part of that, you know, the, in the traditional model of spirituality, you have, you have salvation and then you have sanctification and salvation is getting them baptized, getting them right with the Lord and sanctification is helping them grow in Jesus and all the way to their death. to they, till they die right which i believe now i see now is the harder part is the bigger task um i used to be once upon a time i i think all my focus and it just seemed like the goal was to get people baptized but as i grew and i realized you know, the the bigger honestly tougher thing is to get from baptism to you know till till they pass away till their life ends and helping them develop and grow and straight stay faithful, uh, helping them deal with the challenges that are thrown at them, deal with the challenges from the world, from Satan, but also even the challenges in the church that you get from the church some, sometimes. As we all know who've been around a while, sometimes our greatest challenges come from within the church. Our We are our own, you know, like the old saying, we have seen the enemy and the enemy is us. You know, sometimes we are our biggest challenge. We get ourselves in the way. And sometimes it's literally me. I'm my biggest challenge sometimes, or you're your biggest challenge. So anyways, all that process and, and, and what Jesus is saying here, I think is particularly important to that. It speaks to the, the process of sanctification of growing continually, not, not that we'll be saved if we do this, we're, we're already saved. It's that we'll be blessed if we do this, that our Christian life will go better. Our life will go better. I mean, I tell people, I tell my kids all the time, you know, there's just, there's no better life. Yeah, it has challenges. Yeah, it has difficulties. But so does not being a Christian. You know, it's kind of like that bumper sticker. You think education is expensive. Try ignorance. It's the same thing. You think being a Christian is hard. Try not being a Christian. It's even harder in different ways. And I'd rather it be hard and be rewarding and be right then be hard and not be rewarding and be wrong. Right? So anyways, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is a fantastic principle to live by and to know and keep in mind all the time. So I am checking this. So if you have any questions that pop up as we go, if I can answer them, I will. All right. So, oh, and you probably noticed that the glasses, because I'm reading your comments. I need my glasses. <laughs> so on my screen I can see they make everything big and I have a giant print bible so the campus always teases me that they could read my bible as well as I could out in the audience. But uh when I'm reading this I need some glasses. I need to be able to see what you're writing or saying. So here's our section today. Uh verse 18. So this conversation continues uh at a dinner table, right? They're they're at a dinner table they're talking Um, and you need to know a little bit about how a dinner table works in the first century as opposed in the first century in the Middle East, as opposed to other places and other times. Um, if you look at the picture I posted on there, um, a first century dinner table, first of all, you'll notice they're not sitting in chairs, right? They're leaning, they're reclining. And basically, uh, at a, at a special dinner, which was, would absolutely, this would be a special dinner. This is the Passover meal. You have pillows all around it. So everybody's reclining on these big cushions and you recline on your left elbow and you eat with your right hand. Okay. And this is, this is how, how you, um, how you eat. That's why even to this day in the Muslim law, that, that if you're caught stealing, you get your right hand chopped off. Well, that's problematic because that's the hand you eat with. That means you can't sit at a table and eat with people because you do other things with your left hand that I won't mention, but your left hand is unclean. Your right hand is clean. So if you get, if you get caught stealing and you get your right hand cut off, you can't eat with the crowd anymore. You have to eat by yourself, which is pretty major as you can imagine. So, or you have to eat with people that are okay with you eating. With your left hand as well as doing other things with your left hand. So, so this picture kind of portrays it there. Um, and they're sitting there eating and it also kind of tells you how they're all sitting because it says, um, now Jesus continues, says, I'm not referring to all. Okay. He says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the, the passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. Okay. He's just said that someone is going to betray him. And of course they're all looking around, you know, who, who who's the betrayer, Who who's going to do this. And, uh, he, he says, well, first of all, um, the scripture has to be fulfilled that the one who shares my bread will betray me, has turned against me. And of course he's, he's, he's referring here to Psalm 41, um, he says he who has shared has shared my bread has turned against me he says i'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen you will believe that i am who i am okay and there he is again using the i am statement i am the 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 one who is the one who was is and is going to be or another way of saying it the ising one the one who eternally is that's god right and again jesus makes reference to himself being god he says, he says, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And he's, he's beginning to set, um, I was going to say set the table when I don't mean literally they're at the table, but, but set up. a a very long discourse that covers several chapters ahead of us where he talks a lot about the relationship between us and him or between him and the apostles and therefore us and in him. And, and, um, he says, uh, he says, whoever accepts me and whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me, he's equating absolutely, our relationship with Jesus with our relationship with God. That's very important, again, because it's Jesus that's always being attacked. It's Jesus who he is that's always being attacked. Is he really God in the flesh? That's what's constantly being undermined. Even to this day, as I've said 20 times, the three fastest growing religions in, in our world right now all believe in Jesus, but do not believe in who he is. So, you know, you've got you've got two very large denominational groups the jehovah's witness and the mormons and then you've got the muslims who 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 also believe you know and they call him isa and, and but for them he's only he's only a prophet so for for islam to believe that jesus would be god in the flesh would be blasphemy um and we know he is god in the flesh that's our conviction that's what makes us unique as christians and he says um and he's telling them what's going to happen, and he's getting them ready. You know, he said, look, I'm telling you things that are going to happen so that you'll be ready, so that you'll be prepared, so that you can handle this. And after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And, you know, he one of the things that I love about the Bible is, is it, it's so open. It's so transparent. You know, it tells us how people feel. It tells us how, I mean, even Jesus himself shared frequently how he was feeling about things. And, and, you know, whether it was the Garden of Gethsemane, but not just the Garden of Gethsemane. At other times he, he shares his, his frustration or his anger and, or, or his turmoil and, uh, it it 's not a book that glosses over things I mean if you look at most heroic writings or you look at the greek uh heroes they 're not sharing you sharing with you their feelings they're not they're not at this level and certainly you know when when people write things and you compare this to other classic literature where the hero is you know always good and always solid and always got it together and 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 that's not the case in the Bible. I mean, every hero, you also see their faults. You also see their weaknesses. You also see them fall into sin and how they handle sin. And that determines ultimately whether they're a hero of faith or not. That's that's part of the power of the Bible. It's clearly these guys didn't write it. because If they wrote it, they'd have made themselves look good. And, you know, the gospels reveal all the apostles, errors and flaws and stupid things they say. And I mean, Jesus rebuked Peter and called him Satan. You don't think Peter would have taken that out? You know, uh, let's delete that from the final edition, you know, but you get the director's cut, you know, you get, you get God's version of the gospel, not their version of the gospel. Um, even though, yeah, they sat down and recorded it, but it reveals it's very transparent. Um, so we keep reading it says very truly i tell you one of you is going to betray me his disciples stared at one another at at a loss to know which of them he meant one of them the disciple whom jesus loved was reclining next to him now you know you got to you got to love this um you 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 got to love this that that they're all looking around and and He says, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, who is that? Well, that's John. Who's writing this? Well, that's John too. (laughs) Uh, John's writing. I, I love that John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. I mean, that's a John reference. That's not a Matthew, Mark, or Luke reference. That's a John reference. And it's not just here. It's also in chapter 19, verse 26, chapter 20, verse 2, 21 verse 7, and verse 20. And this just, you know, he calls himself the beloved, the beloved of Jesus, the one that Jesus really loved a lot, you know, not, not in a, an exclusive sense, like I'm the only one Jesus loved, but, but definitely like, you know, like saying, Hey, I'm his best friend, you know, it's like being at a wedding. And whoever does the toast always says, you know, he and I are, I'm his best friend or whatever. And it's always funny because several guys will get up and say that they're his best friend and you can't all be his best friend, but everybody feels that way. Certainly John did. And certainly John was very confident. Uh, someone asked, Kathy asked if, uh, do you think that, how did that look that Jesus was troubled? Apparently he didn't show it because nobody is wondering about it. Nobody's asking about it. Nobody's looking at it. Or it could simply mean that they're all so self-centered that they're not even noticing what Jesus is going through. But I would vote he probably doesn't show it. Um, it's probably all happening in his heart. And the Holy Spirit is just giving us an insight to what's going on inside Jesus. But so, uh, so John calls himself the one, the beloved, right? And Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and, and said, ask him which one he means, right? Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Now, that tells you something. One of the reasons I picked this picture is because, okay, if they're leaning on their left arm and eating with their right, so that puts John in the right place. He's sitting at the right of Jesus, which is the seat of honor. But he's also, if he just leans back, he's leaning on Jesus' chest, on Jesus' shoulder. And he can say something to Jesus without the rest of the group even hearing it. You know, I often, you know, when I first started, became a Christian, I used to think, how did this whole dialogue happen? And nobody know it was Judas, you know? I mean, didn't they all hear that Jesus said what he said? And, and, but I re- I realized that, you know, it's, it's a large table. This picture how does have it as one square table. Oftentimes it was in a U. And remember, this is the Passover meal. So this isn't an ordinary dinner. They would have a tablecloth. They would have all the best of plates and cups and everything. And it would, it would be on, if you've ever gone to a Middle Eastern restaurant where you're actually in a Middle Eastern setting or, or to someone from the Middle East in their home, they bring out everything on big platters and, and, and that's the way, or if you've been to a seder, a seder, which is a Passover meal, that which is exactly what this was. In fact, we even know where in the meal this is. It's later in the meal because because he's dealing with bread, because he's breaking bread, and that doesn't happen till later. So so we even know that. But you can picture it, you know, John's up against him, leaning on him. And uh, you know, and I always thought at first I thought, oh, that's weird. He's leaning old translations will will say he's leaning on his bosom or he's on his chest. Well, if you're all laying there, because, you know, if you try to picture this sitting at an American dining room table in a chair, that would really be bizarre, somebody leaning way over on Jesus' chest. But if you picture the actual setting, it makes perfect sense. So John and Jesus could have an entire conversation that the other guys can't hear, you know, and Peter's telling them, you know, find out who he's talking about. So Jesus answered him, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And and this is also highly symbolic, right? One of the things Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he hands the bread to Judas. He's handing over his life to Judas. He's handing himself over. And it's really interesting because it says, then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. You know, this That's this is a powerful moment. I mean, this is powerful. Jesus gives him the bread. Jesus is the bread of life. The bread represents his body. He gives it to Judas, and Satan takes control right there. Boom. It's like he's handed himself over. Some even say this is the turning point right here. This is the moment where everything, where all of a sudden kind of Satan just takes over. He's now, he jumps in, boom. And another way of translating it is that he took control. He took control of Judas, you know, and, and which also tells you of, you know, I don't want to go too far with this or make too much out of it, but, but. When we give ourselves over to Satan, he takes control. And and the, the, we start thinking the things he wants us to think. We see things as things he wants. We see things in ways he wants us to see them. We interpret things in ways he just takes control. And this is what he does in this moment with Judas. Um So Jesus told him, what you are about to do do quickly, in other words you know get on it let's 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 go let's let's make this happen but no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him since Judas had charge of the money some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor as soon as Judas had taken the bread he went out and it was night and and and, and you have to understand that that even that is, in in, in many ways, a, a powerful statement. Um, it, it has this whole scene. It paints the whole scene. He gives it to Judas. Judas takes off. They don't understand what's going on. There's some commentary here. One of the things interesting about the commentary was, was that, um, that maybe they thought he was going to go get some th- some food for the festival or give something to the poor. I mean, that's how frequently and common giving to the poor was that, oh, that's probably what he's doing. Like, I don't think most of us, if dad got up and went out of the, uh, out of the house, we wouldn't think, oh, he's probably going to go drop off some clothes for the poor, or he's probably going to go s- serve at the food bank. Why? Because it's an extremely rare thing to do, but not for them. For them, it was a normal thing to do, that you go give whatever's left to the poor or you go give some money to the poor. That's an interesting note. But as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. That 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 last statement, it's a statement by itself, and it was night. It's another one of those moments where, okay, a picture is being painted here. This isn't a blue sky picture. This is a dark night picture. This is, okay, the 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 in a movie the music would change here. All of a sudden, you you get the ominous music playing. You know, there's a tune, and I can't remember what it's called. It's a medieval tune that uh, it's only like four or five notes. Dun 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 dun, and it gets replayed over and over in movies. Uh, the the probably the most one the one that maybe you might remember. Is at the very beginning of the shining as they're driving in the mountains. There's a boom, boom, boom. And I think it's called, it's called like, uh, the night of the, the night of hell or something like that. But it's in a ton of over a hundred different scary movies. Use that tune. This would be where that tune would play. And it was night. Things got dark all of a sudden. And in, in, in a spiritual sense. It says when he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. You know, again, Jesus is explaining the theology. Jesus is explaining that, that relationship, that special relationship they share together and 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 then he and i don't think this is a coincidence in the very next sentence he says my children he calls them my children this is not an ordinary term this is a very uh, affectionate term technia and it just means children but it's a it's an affectionate term you know mexicans call their kids mijo or mija and it's only Mexicans. Other Latin cultures don't have that word, although it's it's spreading into other cultures. But but that is a it's a it's a definite term of endearment. You know, when you say "mijo," that's it's kind of like saying "my son," uh, but "my son" sounds even more formal. It's less formal than that, "mijo," "mija," and 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 you only get to use that word as if you're close or or you want to express affectionate love to a little kid. You say Mijo, come here. And 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 that that is expressing I love you. I care about you. It's a very powerful term. We well, you, you know you hear it in the Mexican community all the time. But but it's what it means. You don't just call anybody Mijo or Mija. So it's the same thing. Technia. My children, my beloved kids, he says, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. Okay. He's telling them that, that, that where he's going, they can't come. In other words, he's not abandoning them, but he's going to do something where they will no longer be traveling around with him. And he's going somewhere where, at least for now, they cannot come. And they cannot join him. And all of this is preparing them, right? For, for what's to come and what they're about to experience. And you will see that when they when he does get crucified and die, they don't remember any of this. It isn't until later they remember his words. And all these words and all these things he said all of a sudden make sense. And that's that happens to us all the time. There's things that... We read, you know, I think of probably my first year as a Christian, first couple of years, I probably understood about 20% of what I was reading, maybe, maybe only 10%. And as each year has gone by and each time I've read, I've understood a little more and a little better. And today I understand much more, but I will tell you this, that as much as I know that I can sit here and go line by line and tell you things, there's still a lot more things that I don't know. And there's things that there's just more. I mean, it's just like I've said it's just an absolute incredible how much there is to learn in the Bible and how much the, the, it's, it's packed. So I love, I even love that term unpacking it because that's really what, it, what it's like. It's like you open up a treasure chest and you're just taking things out, but it's, it's more like a Harry Potter treasure chest. It goes down, 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 down. It's not just a two foot deep chest. It, it's, it looks like a two foot chest, but boy, does it have depth and you, and the, the more you dig, the more you find. And, uh, that's, that's the way it is. Right. So he's, he's telling them, he says, you will look for me just as I told you Jew, the Jews. And it's interesting that he calls them the Jews, right? Which kind of tells you a little bit, uh, what's happening when John was written I remember, as I said, John's written in the late, late of the, uh, the latter part of the first century, so mid nineties. And, um, by now there's absolutely tension between Christians and Jews and probably the the school of Jamnia has already been going, has already been organized. And this was a school to kind of reorganize Judaism after the fall of Jerusalem in eighty seventy. 70. So that school was very hostile to Christians. And that's where the idea of of the prayer that cursed Christians at the end of each synagogue service, uh, that Christians were considered heretics, uh, and the, the, the tension between Jews and Christians rose high. And also by AD 95, the church wasn't looked at a Jew, as a Jewish group anymore. There's so many Gentiles in the church now that Jews have now become probably a minority. And so it's seen as a more Gentile movement now. Whereas in the early days, it was absolutely a Jewish group with a Jewish movement. So you get language like this, the Jews, you know, you don't get that language in Mark's gospel. You don't get that language early in early writings, but you do get that language later on because that's how it was. It's us, us and them became Christians and the Jews, where in the early days, us was them, us and them were the same. So, okay. So. Now, the the big one that we all know very well, and most of us have memorized the scripture at least once in our lives, um, he says in verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, so a couple things about this command is, uh, first of all, that this command, it begins with a new command. And you know, what is new about this? Okay. So, so one of the things is it's kainos, kainos. Uh, it, there's two words in Greek for new or classic words, kainos and neo. Neo is like brand new. Like you go to the and you, or you go down to the dealer and you buy a brand new car. That's a, a nail car, right? That's a brand new car. Kinos is you, you, you take an old car and you restore it. That's a Kinos car. It's, it's, it's old, but it's been refurbished. It's brand new again. You've made it new again. You've upgraded it. You've improved it. You've made it superior to what it was. So that's, that's the word used here. So it's a superior command. This is the upgraded. This is this is Holiness 2.0 here. This is brand new. Um, but in the sense of refurbished, overhauled, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And I always love to point out that I think the, the refurbished part or the new paint job on this is how Jesus did it. As I have loved you. Okay. And I always ask people when we, when we study the Bible, uh, what does he mean by as I have loved you? What did they think of? People always say, well, the cross. Well, th- but the cross hasn't happened yet. This is right before the, this is the night before the cross, but, but it still hasn't happened yet. So what did they see in Jesus' life or experience with him that would be considered as I have loved you? I think that's a good thing to think about. Um, I think it's a good thing to meditate on is how has Jesus loved me? How has Jesus loved you? And that's how I'm supposed to love my brothers and sisters. That's how I'm supposed to love the church. And, And he says, now, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you Love one another. You know, that this, this is how everybody's going to know that you, we're his disciples, right? And we make that point all the time when we when we teach people about discipleship, when we teach them about following Jesus, how incredibly important this is. But I think that we have to be aware that we don't think because we know better, we are better. You know, a lot of times we th- it's it's human nature to think, well, because I know what's right, therefore I am doing what's right. Uh, not necessarily. You can know what's right and not be doing it at all. I mean, it's why the Bible tells us to test ourselves, to see if we are living in the light, if we are following truly following Jesus. And, and so uh, it warrants us stopping and asking, okay, am I loving people the way Jesus loved me? And it's a regular question we should ask ourselves constantly and evaluate and it's it's something in my mind that we're constantly recalibrating. And I, I run this filter a lot where I'll, I'll be in a situation with a brother and you know you can't you cannot be in an organization very long without at sometimes having conflicts or disagreements or just realizing that you know we don't all think alike and we have different opinions and, and even I think what's what, what what uh is really challenging us And going to challenge us a lot more is even our politically minded differences. You know, how we view things and how we interpret things and, you know, which news station we watch, you know, and that, that have differences. And one of the, 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 probably the big discoveries for me was that godly people can actually think very differently on some points. They can have politically opposite views. And each have their argument for it. Each have their reason they believe this is right. And just, it doesn't mean that one is ungodly and the other is godly. And and it's a test of our love because if anybody could have criticized us and torn us to pieces, it would have been Jesus. I mean, he's the only one who truly was sinless. And if anybody could judge us and condemn us, it was Jesus but he refrained from doing that. And he loved us and served us and gave to us. And I think in these times, especially right now, in our world, it's so important that we not just love each other, but we love like Jesus. That we love just like Jesus. With that devotion, that commitment. I mean, I, and that would be my homework to you is take some time to meditate on this scripture. How does Jesus love me? How has Jesus loved my family? How has he loved the brothers and sisters around me? And how do I put that into practice? And how am I doing on that? And what I see is when I, when I run that filter, when I run that, that cathartic process, there's always things I know I need to grow in. I know, ah, I don't think I handled that the best. I, I can do better than that. And sometimes it's just calibrate, 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 Right get myself recentered, And sometimes it makes me even have to go back and apologize to somebody and say, I'm sorry. I don't think I handled that right. You know, I shouldn't have said this or, or I should have, you know, whatever, you know. Um, But he said, all men will know you're my disciples, right? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So that's, that's a pretty significant. I camped out there for a few minutes because it's so significant and you know he's it's it's funny because if your bible has references it'll reference Leviticus 19:18 to that okay that's the shema shema israel right the the hear ye israel the lord our god the lord is one love him with all your heart mind and strength right and uh jesus added to that but but uh but uh, it's because he was asked right in mark and in matthew what is the greatest commandment and he said, love the Lord your God and added, love your neighbors yourself, which was Leviticus 19. So, and which tells you a lot about how Jesus thinks. This is all wrapped together for him. This is all connected. So, uh, we'll close out with this. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Um, he says, Lord, where are you going? You cannot, f-, sorry. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow. But you will follow later, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you, and then Jesus answered, "Will you really lay down your life for me very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You know this is this is pretty intense. um you know, Peter, I think has the heart that I think most of us have is Look, we're we're giving everything to Jesus. We're we're gonna lay down our lives for him. We're we're gonna give it all. But Jesus also knows us and he knows our weaknesses and he and he points out to Peter, listen, the rooster's gonna before the rooster even crows once, you will have denied me three times. And you know the fact that this is uh actually in, in I believe it's in every gospel, every gospel has a recording of this. That's pretty significant. You know, and we all know that later Jesus restores Peter, even when he calls, tells uh, the apostles to, to, to let the apostles, when he tells Mary to let the apostles know, he has to say the apostles and Peter, this was a pretty big blow to Peter. But, um, it shows us that even with the best intentions, we're going to mess up sometimes and we're going to fail sometimes. And the key is getting right back on our feet and continuing to follow Jesus I mean, the standard is incredibly high. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We're not called to be like the world. We're called to be like Jesus. It's a tough standard. And sometimes and regularly, we're not going to meet up to it. But that's okay. Get back on your feet and keep following. Don't stop. That's why we are saved by grace and not by our own deeds. That's why we are saved by his mercy and kindness not by our own righteousness and holiness. So we'll stop there and thank you. I'm looking, I didn't see any particular questions since the first ones. So God bless you guys and we'll, we'll pick up on chapter 14 uh, when we pick up on Monday. See you then. You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry please visit Metro LA Region.com